prophecy, and uh, we're going to talk about that. On November the 18th, and this was taken uh, from an article dated November the 29th, 2009. On November the 18th, Miriam Rustampour and Masri Amri Zadeh were released from the Ivan prison in Tehran after being held for 259 days, according to Elam Ministries. Family members picked them up at the prison, and the women expressed a heartfelt thanks to Christians around the world who prayed for them during their days in prison. Words are not enough to express our gratitude to the Lord and to His people who have prayed and worked for our release, they said. Miriam and Marzai were released without bail, but charges against them have not formally been dropped, and they may still face a court hearing in the future. They were arrested March the 5th by an Iranian security forces and labeled anti-government activists. Marzai and Maryam's apartment was searched and their belongings were confiscated. Are you listening? Their only crime is that they, com- they were committed Christians who follow the teachings of Jesus. Farsi Christian News Network reported following their arrest, they're only being... They are being unfairly labeled as anti-government activists because of the hostility of the government towards practicing Christians. The women were reportedly interrogated interrogated numerous times and they were held in three different police detention centers before being sent to Ivan Prison. On August the 8th, they were summoned to court and ordered to deny their faith verbally in a written statement. They were pressured to recant their faith after the chief interrogator recommended they be charged with apostasy. Praise God, they stood firm and replied, We love Jesus, we will not deny our faith. Mr. Haydad aggressively questioned the women during the court proceedings and asked them if they regretted becoming Christians. Listen to this. They replied that they had no regrets. When these two made reference to their conviction by the Holy Spirit, Hadad told them it was impossible for God to speak with humans. Marzai boldly asked him if he was questioning God's authority. And he replied that she was not worthy of having God speak to her. We are thankful to the Lord for sustaining these two physically and spiritually during their time in prison, said Voice of the Martyrs, Todd Nettleton. We also thank all those who prayed for them and wrote letters to them at prisonalert.com. That was from the website persecution.com, Voice of Martyrs. And again, the article was dated uh, November the 29th, 2009. I would venture to say that none of us in here have ever experienced anything like that. None of us have ever been in a place where we were held against our will, and asked, in fact, if we were followers of Jesus Christ and had been charged and facing apostasy because of it. Yet these women, in their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, refused to recant their faith. They stood boldly, and one even asked, I love that, the interrogator, are you, in, are you questioning God? The boldness that these women had... Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount by saying these words, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As Jesus progresses towards the cross, so does His persecution. This is at the beginning of His earthly ministry. And the further He goes, and the more miracles He does, and more and more of His teaching that gets out, more and more of the Jews rise up against Him. Jesus tells us that the more we are displaying these characteristics that we've been studying, the characteristics of things like the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, the more and more that these are our characteristics, the more we will be out of place in this world and the more the world will come against us. I had a conversation with Eugene last night. Eugene and I were talking about worship and we were talking about a lot of Christian things. And he said, Pastor, I just believe right now that there's a lot coming that we don't know and we're right around the corner from it. I, I don't like to watch the news, but I still need to stay informed. And I was watching the news and they have confirmed over 180 people on the terrorist watch list have come in through the southern border. 180. There are sleeper cells in the United States of America. And let me just tell you, they're not Christian. And they will come after us Christians. And as my dad tells me, he said, I'm not worried about me, I'm worried about my grandchildren. And most of us can say an amen to that. I'm worried about my grandchildren. But I can also see it ramping up as the days come. But even though persecution is going to come, we can be happy even when we're being persecuted. And especially in persecution, we can be joyful, we can be happy. Truthfully, the day that we live in, we've had not to face persecution at all. I mean, we have the freedom to come and go as we want. We have the freedom to meet here. And we have the freedom to do a lot of Christianity. But I don't think it's going to be so in what's coming. Now, just before I start and get into this, there's one false narrative that we must really deal with. And this false narrative is pervasive. It's, It's growing. It's getting momentum. And this false narrative is that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, everything is going to be fine for you. You're not going to have persecution. Everything's going to be rosy. Everything's going to be fine. And let me just tell you, it was not so for the disciples. It was not so for the early church. It's not been so for anyone. Yea, the Bible says, yea, all who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. David wrote this in Psalm 119.71, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. There's something about affliction, there's something about persecution that drives us to the Word of God. And church, may I say something to you? I had to study church history in Bible college, and I've kind of liked church history. It's kind of interesting to me. 
There's one thing, there's one theme throughout church history. The church was most effective when it was being most persecuted. The book of Acts. Jesus said, you will be my disciples, or my witnesses. And you'll start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Branching out. We find by Acts chapter 4 and 5 that the, the disciples are staying there in Jerusalem. They're not branching out. So what happens? Persecution comes. And it disperses them and causes them to come out. And you and I, ultimately, we could say we're here because of God, but the gospel spread through those disciples and through their disciples and through their disciples and through their disciples and all the way down to us. As David and both Paul and Jesus all said, and they understood that Christianity was not easy, and they would suffer. Jesus knew full well what He was going into as He marches towards Jerusalem. He knew exactly what He would face. And He went anyways. This passage of Scripture needs to be preached. It's not something that people want to hear. It's not something you come and say, Oh, great, you know, we're going to be persecuted. Let's be happy and celebrate. No, that's not what the text means. So let's dive in and see what it says. What's the meaning of persecution? The word persecution actually means to make one flee or to drive away by harassing or harming. Persecution is when someone attempts to do you harm and they seek to make you flee or drive away. Why do they do that? There's one reason they want to do that. To stop the work of God. That is what they want. They want to stop the work of God. In most instances of persecution recorded in the Scripture and recorded in the early church involved violence. And its intent is to drive you away from Christianity and your faith. Those who were early Christians who were burned at the stake. Hebrews talks about those Christians who were sawn in two. Literally, sawn in two. And the only reason was they were followers of Jesus Christ. Now, this is actually happening today, but predominantly it's happening in other countries. Uh, we occasionally hear of a pastor who is imprisoned in the Middle East. And they're imprisoned and they're beaten, and oftentimes they're, they're persecuted. It's happening to Jews right now. The boss. And our, our world, our society is so blinded by evil that people in America are standing with Hamas and saying that they really didn't do that. That the videos of infants being beheaded was not actually happening. It was propaganda that comes out of Israel. But we should not be surprised by this because the Bible said that all nations would go against Israel. All nations. You know, there are various types of persecution. What are some types of persecution? Well, first of all, there's revile. When they revile you, revile means to ridicule, slander against. As a Christian today in the United States of America, many in the mainstream will look at you and call you a bigot. 
because you believe hus- uh, marriage is between one man and one woman. They will slander you. They want to literally rip babies at nine months. They literally want to rip them in pieces and pull them out of the womb and they call us evil because we say we're against that. They'll revile you. Persecution they will pursue. They will come after you. In the state of Kentucky during COVID, the state troopers were instructed by the governor that they would write down, all, record all the licenses off the vehicles that were parked outside of local churches during the COVID pandemic. It was nothing but a test. It's a test. They will speak falsely of you. Do you know that right now with AI, artificial intelligence, false AI, they can capture someone's dad's voice off a video and they can change the words and publish it as a new video and it sounds like that that person is talking? How easy would it for them, for, for, for them to just take my voice because it's on sermon audio and make me say things that's false? It's coming. We don't, uh, we don't see that this thing right here has caused more trouble in our land than anything. We're slaves to it. I was talking to someone today, and he said, you're crazy. I said, if I was in charge, I would limit Internet availability. He said, you're absolutely nuts. Nobody would vote for you. I said, I know they wouldn't vote for me. That's the first thing I'd do. How many times have you almost run over someone in the parking lot of Walmart because they're walking on their phone? They can't wait to get to the car. What scares me to death is I have a 15-year-old and next year he will be driving. And they don't know how, how a greater responsibility it is in one moment, you look off and you're on your phone and you hit someone and kill them, your life is ruined for not, not to mention they're dead. You ruin someone else's life, a whole family's life. That was free. I know it was on the rabbit trail, but I'm sorry. Notice the reason for their persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, if you're persecuted because you're a scallywag, we're not talking about that. Someone asked me one time, you use that word all the time. Do you know what it means? I said, well, no, it's bad. That's all I know. If you're a scallywag, you're a bad guy or a gal. Righteousness' sake, this simply means for doing right. Those who often are persecuted do so because of the believer's desire to do what's right in God's sight. In our land today, people are saying that truth is objective. No, truth is revealed in the Scripture. What God says is truth is truth. It doesn't matter who believes it or not. And when we make a conscious effort to live by His truth and do right, we're going to be persecuted. You know why? Because the devil knows that the power of a changed life is one of the most greatest public witnesses available. 
When someone who is a filthy, downright, low-life sinner comes to faith in Christ and he is made new in Jesus Christ and everything changes about him, the world can't handle that. The devil cannot handle that. So the first reason is for righteousness. The second reason is for Christ's sake. This simply means they persecute you because you believe in Christ. Have you ever noticed that there are always, in the United States of America, there are always special accommodations given to every religion except Christianity? They go out of their way not to offend a Muslim, but they, the same people will tell us, don't you dare pray in Jesus' name. They're going to persecute you for Christ's sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. That's what Jesus said. You know there are people that you and I perhaps know that came to faith in Jesus Christ and they lost friends because of it. I think Harry even sings a song about that. The old man is dead. They want to know why he's not still painting the old town red. Something like that, you know. I'm not going to say I get the words all messed up. I get three or four songs blended together, and I have a song in my mind, but it ain't even right at all. You know what I'm saying? It drives Amy crazy. So I do it more. No, I'm just kidding. Do you know that there are literally marriages that have split up because one spouse came to faith in Christ and the other one didn't? You know, there are some in the United States of America that lost their job because they openly professed and proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ. Now, we live in the Bible Belt. I <coughs> officiated a memorial service last night, and uh, there were a lot of people from New Jersey here. It was Dave Nees' mother had passed away, and a lot of his family came down from uh, Philadelphia, actually New Jersey, Philadelphia, but pr- predominantly Philadelphia. And by the way, I met Rocky from Philadelphia. But it wasn't the Rocky. But I was like, dude, I can go home and tell my wife I met Rocky from Philadelphia. Um, anyway, I just watched Rocky. You know what I'm talking about. If you haven't watched it, you know he runs up the steps and jumps in the statues. Okay, okay. Anyways, <clears throat> my favorite movie when I was a kid. But I was, I was talking to them, and we were talking about various things. And, and uh, one fella was a, a um, youth pastor right across, Philadelphia, uh, right across the river from Philadelphia in New Jersey. And he helped plant a church with a, the pastor that started it. And, and we were just talking, and he was talking about how there's hardly any churches in close proximity of, of, of independent Baptists. I said, dude, I, just on my, I said, where I live, I live about 10 miles from the church. And in that 10-mile span, not going on any back road, just on the front road you see, I passed 13 churches on our way to church. He said, yeah, this is the Bible Belt. I said, you would think it's the Bible Belt. But just because we have churches, it doesn't mean they're full and thriving. So what is our response? If we know persecution is going to come, and most often they're going to persecute us for righteousness' sake and for Christ's sake, what can we do? Because church, the time to prepare is not when it comes. The time is to prepare now. Well, he says that we are to rejoice and be exceeding glad. Now, this doesn't mean that when the persecution comes, say, hey, let's celebrate. Let's have a party. You know, no, it's not. We play KC in the Sunshine Band. Celebrate good times. Come on, no. It's not what we do. 
Some of you are like, you're on my playlist, preacher. This does not mean that you say, woohoo, I'm getting persecuted. What it means is that when you and I are persecuted, we can see and understand and know that God is in control. That God is behind it. He knows it. He hasn't chosen to deliver us from it. But He has told us that we will get through it. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can even more exalt. That's exactly what this phrase means. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Glad means it literally to even more exalt. You know, and this is what I'm trying to relay to people today. And a lot of times it might be in a counseling session. We have to live with ourselves. We have to look at ourselves in the mirror every day. And if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, and you look in the mirror and you do not like what you see because you're not doing what you're supposed to, that's called conviction. The joy that comes from remaining faithful helps to sustain us in those times. Can I tell you a story? How many of you remember the Apostle Peter? Very outspoken, right? First one out of the boat, first one open his mouth, first one to fight. That's Peter. Peter, on the night that Jesus was arrested, he cursed and swore that he did not know Christ. Do you know what the Bible says when the crows or the uh, roosters crowed and he looked at Jesus and Jesus looked at him? You know what the Bible says he did? He went out and what? Wept bitterly. You know why? Because he had to live with himself. What was coming out of him was not consistent with who he was in Christ. Now I want you to think about this. And I'll give you a homework assignment. I will give you a homework assignment. Not much is said about Peter in between the time he cursed and said he didn't know Christ until Jesus restored him on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. Not much is said. Jesus restores him on the Sea of Galilee and then we find him 53 days later standing before the very people he denied Christ and said, this same Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord, Savior and Lord. From then on, it was his daily regimen, irregardless of what was happening, to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Insomuch as that the day that he was to die, historically we know that he asked, the, Lord, he asked the, the, the people who were crucifying him to crucify him upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die in the same manner as Jesus Christ. Now how in the world could he in, endure all that and joyfully ask to be crucified upside down? I'll tell you how. He understood that it's better to be persecuted and be right with God and have the joy that comes from being right with God than it was 
to avoid the persecution and not be right with God. You remember the three Hebrew slaves? They weren't taken out of the fire, were they? No. I see three, I see four, and one is like the Son of God, Son of Man. God. Who was it? It was Jesus. God was with them in the fire. Let's throw Daniel in the lion's den. What did Daniel do? He slept like a rock all night, and the king didn't sleep a wink. The Bible says that God closed the mouth of the lions. I'm told a story of a missionary. The Germans captured a missionary, and they let it be known that he was going to die. That night he was heard praying in his cell, Lord, I know that I'm probably going to die tomorrow. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. And there's no reason for both of us to lay awake tonight and worry about this. So I'm going to go to sleep, and I'm going to let you worry about it. And do you know the next day, those Germans dropped him off in front of the mission steps. Guys, we know nothing about persecution. But our response is to rejoice and be exceedingly glad. It has nothing to do with looking at the persecution and say, Man, I'm being persecuted. Or to send out emails, Oh, pray for me, I'm being persecuted. No. It's that steadiness, that confidence on the inside, that whatever happens, I'm right with God. And I rejoice in that. You know what, church? There's a reward for this. What do we get for remaining faithful during persecution? Would you go with me to Matthew chapter 19? I want you to go toward the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. Peter, the apostles, uh, they've all been with Christ. The disciples have been with Christ. uh, Let's just make it. Uh, so we understand that they've been with him since chapter 5. Okay, We're in chapter 19 now, in verse 23. And I want to take you to a story. The rich young ruler comes and and, um, says, you know, I've done all these things. And and he says, well, sell all you got and give the poor and follow me. And the young man heard, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Look at verse 23. This is where we are. Then Jesus said to his disciples, he's no longer talking to the young man, he's talking to his disciples. He says this, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying these things, and the disciples are sitting there and they're thinking. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, What you and I would say, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and He said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. The first thing that God or Jesus tells us is that this is spiritual. This is spiritual. This is something that God does. Now Peter, here we go again, verse 27, Then Peter and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? Are you really serious, Peter? 
Are you that audacious that you would say, listen, we've left everything, so what do we have? What are you going to give us? Verse 28. Jesus said to them, not just Peter. It wasn't just Peter. See, the thing I've learned about Peter was he would say the things that the disciples thought, but they wouldn't say. So Jesus said to them, Surely I say to you that in the regeneration when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed Me will also sit on the twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Okay, great. That's them. What about us? And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Now let me just tell you this. Do you know what a hundredfold means? It means a hundred times. You know what Jesus says? All right, Peter, I'll tell you what. You're not going to get it now. But in the kingdom, you're going to have a hundred times more what you gave up. Now, someone asked me, I was discussing this with Keith Matheny today, and he said, do you really think it was hyperbole? Do you really think it's exactly a hundred times, or was it just a hyperbole, just a, a large number for illustration? And I said, I don't care. Either way, we win, right? It doesn't matter, the number. But notice what else he says, and. This is in addition to eternal life. Let me ask you a question. Those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and all the things that we've done on this earth and we've given up here, He tells us not only is He going to save us eternally and keep us from damnation, keep us from hell, but He's going to give us a hundred times more than we've ever had here. What more do you want? What more do you want? The reward will be a hundredfold, literally a hundred times as much, and eternal life. But here's the thing. You're not always going to get the reward right now. Does anybody else understand that because we're human, we want things right now? Have you ever decided that you're going to get something and once you made the decision you're going to get it, that's all you can think about until you get it? Have you ever been going to look at a car? Every car, it's amazing. Every car I've ever looked at, someone else is looking at it and you better hurry up and make a decision. Right? Because someone else is going to get it. The thing about a reward is you don't get it immediately. You only get it when the service is over. That's what a reward is. Pastor Manuel was shot and killed by the Revolution Armed Forces of Colombia guerrillas in San Jose del Guavari, Colombia. I think that's how you say it according to the Voice of Martyrs, Martyrs Contacts. The FARC guerrillas made an appointment with Pastor Emmanuel and his family. He thought they were going to authorize him to have church officially. 
When he had discussed and asked for before, said the, the VOM contacts. One of them came in the house with the pastor's wife Gloria and his daughter while the pastor was outside. He was shot five times. A FARC gorilla who was in the house with the rest of the family yelled, Make sure that dog stays dead, referring to the pastor. The gorillas then shot the pastor again, this time in the neck. Following the shooting, Pastor Emmanuel's wife ran outside and cleaned his face. With the help of her children, she dragged his body under a tree. She ran and got her Bible and, shaking with tears, preached to all those who got near. The voice of martyr contact said, Her ten-year-old son said, Mom, don't worry. Dad died for Christ, and now he is with Christ. Pastor Emmanuel and his wife had been pastoring a church in the Chopal village south of San Jose del... whatever, for about eight years. They faced numerous challenges, and many churches in the area had been closed by the FARC guerrillas. Pastor Emmanuel decided to open the church regardless of the threats and risks. In April, the pastor was part of an evangelistic event at which three FARC guerrillas and seven members of the paramilitary militia accepted Christ. Praise God for his family's faith. We know nothing of that. No one I know of has been dragged out of their house and shot five times for their faith in Jesus Christ. But it's not out of the realm of possibility. And my question is to you, if the gun were pointed to you, could you say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ? We should understand that persecution is coming and the Holy Spirit will take us through that persecution. We can't let persecution cause us to stop. That's what it's intended to do. And we will be rewarded for our faithfulness in persecution. My question to you is this, and I was thinking about this today. We're not facing a lot of persecution, church. Fact is, we really haven't given up a lot for Christ. I just wonder what it will take for us to do more before the persecution comes, to reach people with the gospel before the persecution comes. We have an opportunity living in the land that we live in right now that we can share Jesus Christ without... I mean, at worst, someone might insult us. It may not always be that way, but why are we not taking advantage of it while it is that way? Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are the persecuted. I want to tell you this, church. 
the reason we're so unhappy as a people. Statistically, this generation is one of the most unhappy generations. And the reason why is because we're not, we're not sold out for Jesus Christ like we should. And we can change that. We can look in the mirror and see one who is seeking to follow the will of Christ. We can see that. We don't have to look in the mirror and not like what we're doing as a Christian. The fact is, all we've got to do is surrender and make a conscious effort and the Holy Spirit will help us. He saved us, He's called us, He's given us gifts. And He's promised His power. And my thought is, will we, if we're not serving Him and we're not proclaiming Him when we're not being persecuted, will we really stand and proclaim Him when persecution comes? If I can't do business with the Lord in a church of people that are believers in Christ, how am I going to stand in a place that's hostile towards Christ and people with Christ? It's coming. The Bible warns us it's coming. The question is, do we want to be blessed? Do we want to be what Christ says we can be and we have? And we can do, or don't we? That's it. Can we bow? Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you for your word. Lord, none of us in this room even.